1: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas.
2: Restrictions apply. In the fall of 1991, an older German couple from Nuremberg were hiking in the Ustel... The Ustel. I don't know how to pronounce this word. In the fall of 1991, an older German couple from Nuremberg were hiking in the Utstel Alps. Their names were Helmut and Erica They were about 10,000 feet up on the east ridge of Finirspitz, a mountain that straddles the border between Italy and Austria. A good haul to get up there and cold in September. They had decided to take a shortcut off the trail and through a gully strewn with ice and water and jagged rocks.
3: So they saw something coming out of the ice. The first moment they were even not sure what it is so they they get they became closer and then they realized that this is a human body.
2: The voice you're hearing belongs to Albert Zink. He has told this story many times,
3: and you'll find out why soon enough.
2: How much of him was sort of sticking out, or was it just like just barely there?
3: Yeah, it was uh, most of the body. The upper body was uh, more or less uh, popping out of the ice. Uh, He was a bit bended over a rock, so you couldn't really see the, the legs. The body
2: was face down, hairless, with a bony ridge of spine descending into the snow. His skin was unevenly colored, like full-grain leather. He was naked, or naked from the waist up, anyway.
3: But that doesn't mean he was empty-handed. A um, coat, a fur coat, and uh, there was one shoe still attached to his foot. There was an arrows. there was a quiver. There, uh, there was a bow, an uh, axe with a copper plate, so... Um, and also a little knife uh, with a stone uh, plate. Helmut wanted to take a picture. They were heading towards
2: the next stop on their journey, another alpine hut. But Erica disagreed. She was
3: superstitious. She said also, she said to her husband, you cannot make a photograph of a dead body. That's something you are not allowed to do. But he said, but, well, I have to document it. Otherwise, nobody will believe us what we have found. They actually made one photograph. They, it was still the times where they had analog cameras and not uh, smartphones. So they, it was actually the last photo on the camera they used for this picture.
2: Since its discovery, the body that Helmut and Erica found has become one of the most famous corpses of all time. It's been poked Prodded, sampled, subjected to advanced forensic testing, and today we know more about the man in the ice than you could possibly imagine. Who was he and what kind of secrets might he be keeping? That's what we're gonna find out. I'm Taylor Quimby, and this is Patient Zero. For the love of home. It took four days for rescue teams to carve the man out from under the ice and fly him off the mountain. The body was under meltwater during the day, frozen solid at night. Two men used a pneumatic drill to try and free him, eventually switching to ice picks and poles. His equipment was packed up and brought down the slopes, and they accidentally tore into the flesh of his hip, trying to pry him out. But eventually, he was freed.
3: Yeah, he was brought to the to the forensic department in Innsbruck University because the forensic doctors uh, they just treated this as an unknown, let's say, dead body, had an unknown corpse, and they made the investigation and they they were close, let's say, to discard the mummy or to bury the mummy because they said we don't have any indication for the identity. It looks like that he died already several decades ago. So it's not maybe really a forensic case where we have to look for a murder or something like this.
2: Just to lay out the absurdity of this, some forensic doctors were brought mummified corpse, complete with a stone knife, clothes made of animal furs and handmade bow and arrow. And they were thinking, well, at least we don't need to look for who killed him. Fortunately, before they buried or cremated the Iceman, the real experts got involved.
3: But then they also realized that there are these equipment and uh, clothing that really looks ancient so they decided to involve an archaeologist and he uh, came to the forensic department he saw the equipment he immediately said stop this is something very very important Um, it must be at least at that time 4,000 years old
2: the body of the man was so well preserved doctors had no idea they were looking at one of the oldest human mummies ever discovered it took an archaeologist looking at his tools to recognize the style of the Copper Age. I, I don't want to sound uh, presumptuous, but I I can imagine that the bow and the quiver and the axe would have been a pretty dead giveaway that it was a very old, very old body.
3: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You would think that it's uh, strange that they didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, that's true. His name is Ötzi, so at least this is the name he is called, uh, because obviously, as the forensic doctor rightly said, we didn't find the passport. And Ötzi was a name that was given to him by a journalist at at the time he was found. Also there are other names like Iceman in, in English, or some people also call him Frozen Fritz. At this
2: point, it's probably worth telling you who Albert Zink is. He's the head of the Institute for Mummy Studies which was founded with the sole purpose of gleaning every bit of information possible from this amazing archaeological find. Let me say that again. After finding this body, an entire institute was founded to do research on him. It now has over 400 scientists, and yes, its research scope has expanded beyond Otsi and Otsi alone, but that's how it started. Albert Zink is one of the select few that have actually, and I'm sorry if this is weird, but actually touched a
3: 5,000-year-old corpse. It's quite interesting because uh, I used to work with a lot of mummies, mainly Egyptian mummies, and they're all very stiff and because they're completely dried out. And he's still a bit soft when he's uh, not frozen, so he really is quite different from many other mummies I've seen.
2: What's it feel like? Leather?
3: Yeah, a bit like leather, a bit like, let's say, uh, a bit soft, maybe... Uh, humid leather that you—it could be compared to that.
2: Back when Uzi was first found, though, Albert was still in grad school, and the investigative team that took over studying the body in the 90s—they were still covering the basics, using some tried and true forensic science.
3: Yeah, first one of the first things they did was uh, to make radiographs and also uh, computed tomography. These are non-invasive techniques; so you can have a look inside how is it preserved. And then they tried to figure out the age. The sex was quite obvious, also from an external inspection.
2: You mean that you could see his genitalia?
3: Yeah, exactly. You still can see it, also today. They are a bit, well, obviously uh, also desiccated, but uh, they're quite <laughs> easily identifiable. Yeah. I'm always saying it's not a surprise after 5,000 years in the eyes that they are quite quite small. <laughs> <laughs> From
2: here, they started putting Utsi through the forensic ringer, conducting every test they could safely conduct without further damaging
3: his ancient body. First we did the biop- a bone biopsy from uh, a hip bone, because and they also started crazy. to take samples from uh, from, from the intest- intestines. From but we also got bacterial lines, DNA, we got the, the, the DNA right. from the things he ate. They were so able to tell from Utsi's tissue anything, samples that he was 40 to 50 years old when he
2: died. They could guess at his approximate build, and they could see that the mountain where he was found was not simply his final resting place. It was a crime scene.
3: We know he was murdered. He was killed by an arrow shot from behind.
2: But most fascinating to me was the detailed health profile they were able to work up. We know more about Uzi's health than we do for millions of uninsured Americans who haven't gotten a checkup in however many years. For instance...
3: Yeah, we found uh, several, let's say, pathological conditions in the Iceman. Some of minor importance, uh, which also comes with age and with his occupation, like he had a lot of degenerative disease in his uh, legs and in, the, in his uh, hip joints.
2: Uzi had lower back problems, perhaps from walking up and down mountains all the time. He had intestinal parasites and another bacteria in his belly.
3: A stomach pathogen, the Helicobacter pylori.
2: Helicobacter pylori, by the way, is what gives people gastritis.
3: Yeah, gastritis or stomach ulcer. But hey,
2: you guys already knew that, didn't you?
0: Take soothing Pepto-Bismol and feel good again.
2: Scientists were also surprised to find that he had genetic predisposition
3: to heart disease. And uh, he also had some some, uh, arterial calcifications.
2: Which was unusual, given that we consider that to be a largely modern-day problem. Plus, for a mummy, Utsi was in pretty good shape.
3: Very active. He walked a lot. lot. He was not overweight. He was a non-smoker, as far as we know.
2: They were even able to reconstruct Utsi's last few meals by cataloging the contents of his preserved stomach.
3: A lot of meat because we could identify that there are a lot of meat fibers in, inside, some also, let's say, botanical residues. And uh, in a closer examination, we then found out that the meat is coming from, from mainly from the alpine ibex. There was also some ind- indication for red deer meat. So he, he ate a lot of meat.
2: They also found early forms of wheat. Otzi well, wasn't afraid of carbs, apparently. And one big surprise— traces of bracken fern, a poisonous plant that Utzi likely would have known to avoid, given his lifestyle.
3: But on the other hand, we know that maybe in a small dose, you can use this to treat your intestinal parasites. And we also know from previous studies that he had some intestinal parasites, um, and maybe he used this as a kind of medicine to fight these pathogens.
2: Hmm. And then... One of the biggest finds, or at least one that's gotten a whole lot of press attention, has had to do with a little old spirochete named Borrelia burgdorferi. The connection between the Iceman and Lyme disease was widely reported in February of 2012, And since then, it has been written about and referenced in dozens of articles. It's routinely trotted out in materials about tick borne illness and by advocacy organizations for Lyme. And why not? It's a great story, and it points to the longevity and tenacity of this particular pathogen the first case of documented Lyme, patient Utsi. But like so many things having to do with Lyme disease, the reality behind Utzi's posthumous diagnosis is not what it seems. All sorts of people reported on the findings that he had Lyme, but as far as I can tell, nobody reported on it when Albert and his colleagues
3: cautiously corrected the record. We talked a lot to colleagues because they were all very interested in our findings. And then we had to state that, well, we found borrelia, so we can say there is indication of borrelia of the genus of the family of this bacteria. But we don't have a clear evidence for Borrelia bogdorferi, which means we cannot really be 100% sure that he had Lyme disease. It's still possible. We still hope to um, analyze this more in detail. But at the moment, you have to be a bit more cautious with this interpretation. The DNA found in the Iceman did belong to Borrelia,
2: but they can't say it belonged to Borrelia burgdorferi. And remember, there are 52 known species of Borrelia, and less than half of those belong to the group that cause Lyme disease. So the Iceman could be the oldest known case of relapsing fever, or the oldest known case of something we don't totally understand. This is one of the biggest things we have to watch out for in Lyme World. But also, let's face it, in politics, and on virtually every other complicated issue that's discussed online. Even though science and medicine can evolve and change, the past is often served up right alongside the present. Information is readily available, but sorting through it and verifying its accuracy is no easy task. I read any number of articles telling me that Utsi had Lyme disease, and if I hadn't called the man in charge of studying him, I would be saying the same thing. And frankly, this is the nature of both journalism and science. Big breakthroughs get a lot of attention and headlines. Retractions and corrections, not so much. Combine all this, and you get a world in which people who aren't doing the most careful research can cherry pick their sources and construct almost any reality they want. And that is how you get Lime World. This bonus episode of Patient Zero was produced and reported by me, Taylor Quimby. Sam Evans Brown is Patient Zero's senior producer. Erica Janik is executive producer. Graphics by Sarah Plord. Maureen McMurray is director of content. If you've got questions, concerns, or comments about Patient Zero, we want to hear from you. Email us at patientzero at nhpr.org. Patient Zero's theme was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Patient Zero is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
0: I live by routines, especially my same day delivery routine with shipped Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shift, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Ship.com.